Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep "Legends for Lionel" uh, in pen and pencil by Walter Crane. This is first published uh, by Cassell's Company in uh, 1887. You know, Jesse, you and I were so excited when we first started talking about this that we decided to break our normal rule to pay enough attention to the pictures. Together, as short as this book is in words, we just decided to let it go twice as long for our pleasure, and we hope for the pleasure of those who listen. So i just like to say, um, if you out there, somebody not Jesse, um, are about to listen to us. Um, as Jesse says, it's worth downloading this and looking at the pictures. And if you really have only half an hour to share with us, please plan to do it twice. <laughs> this book is worth it. It is. Um, I, I don't know a million details about Cassell's, but it just so happens that uh, this last week I was taking uh, the serialization of a novel by H. Ryder Haggard uh, called The Brethren, really terrific novel, out of uh, uh, a nearly year-long serialization of that in Cassell's magazine. Um, so this is a UK-based mag. Um, it's very high-end, lots of beautiful illustrations. And uh, that was in 1903 and 1904. This is... Uh, well, before that, it's 1887. Uh, do you know a lot about Cassell's? It's not something we ever had on the shelves here. I've, I well, I've seen other Cassell mm -hmm. books, but uh, um, but I've I've never actually thought to investigate the publishers themselves. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I mean, my, my I have the impression it was a it was a a family thing. Yeah, and uh, there were some siblings involved, but. Sorry. No, no, that's uh, that's sort of my impression too. It's you know, it's not like they teach these things in school, so you sort of have to infer them <laughs> or find stories that connect. So this this book has a very strange story. It seems like um, it was written not to be published, but rather to be enjoyed by a child uh, that is the son of Walter Crane named Lionel. Um, and then somebody, uh, who got a hold of this book, except it wasn't a book at that point, um, showed it to Walter Crane's boss, who was Cass Cassell, um, who said, we should make a book out of this. And that is, uh, mentioned in the introduction, kind of. Um, but there's, there's also like, um, other times this has happened in history. I, the one I'm thinking of is, uh. A book called uh, The Father Christmas Letters, that's one of the titles for it anyways, um, which are all the letters that H, uh, not H.G. Wells, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote to his own children as Father Christmas, a.k.a. Santa Claus, um, over the years that they were children. So it, he had m more than one child, and they were spread their childhoods were spread over a couple of decades. And so there's a a book 
of all the letters that Santa Claus wrote back to Tolkien's children from Tolkien, but in the voice of Santa Claus. And it's about the adventures, and it doesn't cohere as a book, uh, as, as like a book like The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit does, even though The Hobbit was kind of written for his own children as well. But it does mm-hmm. have this amazing quality that this book has too, which is uh, love on the page. <laughs> um, and so in, in this case, and as in that case, the love on the page is for particular children, but it, that love can be shared. So I think uh, whichever Cassell brother or uh, father who was involved in the decision to have this be turned into a book uh, did a wise thing because I don't, I'm not a Lionel, but uh, <laughs> I uh, can appreciate a Lionel book. And this is a terrifically sure. uh, beautiful book. It's very like simple, but also it's got a lot of um, reverence to what kids are interested in, and obviously what Crane, Walter Crane himself, was interested in. So, I'll, I'll mention that there is the first uh, example that comes to my mind of a book that was being written for a child and then somehow got published for the whole world. Um, I, I mention it uh, not simply to add the history, but because I think that there is actually an allusion to it in the book we're talking about today. Um, that is, Alice mm-hmm. in Wonderland um, was written for Alice right. Little, the right, the daughter of the dean of the college. Um, and then... Um, Lewis Carroll, that is Charles Dodson, um, gave it to a friend of his to just to you know see what he thought of it, um, uh, and uh, that friend George MacDonald showed it to his son, um, who later became uh, head of the Royal Academy, uh, uh, the, the Royal Society of Arts of uh, Surgeons, um, and uh, but as a child he read it and he said to his father, who conveyed this to to Charles Dodson, why it was so wonderful, there should be 40,000 copies of it yeah. printed. And uh, and hence that book that was privately intended, Alice's Adventures Underground, got rewritten as Alice's Wonderland and expanded. And uh, seven years later, it read, led to uh, Through the Looking Glass. And by golly, there's a looking glass image right in here. And Crane, who was the most famous book illustrator of his age um, undoubtedly knew Tennille's mm-hmm. work and Tennille was the, the famous illustrator whom Dodgson had hired to illustrate both Alice in Wonder, uh, Alice's adventures uh, in Wonderland and Through the Looking mm-hmm. Glass so um, writing for children was a, a big deal thing in the Victorian mm-hmm. era uh, people still do this of course I, I, I was thinking of my own I don't have children of my own, but I have a lot of students, and uh, um, my understanding is that Lionel and many other (laughs) children who had uh, parents who were uh, artists uh, would be privately educated, basically. Uh, They have a tutor come in, they teach the kids themselves, they give them a pile of books, um, and then at some point they go to university and do all the regular stuff, but... um, That's kind of, uh, you know, like, I can see the the educational aspects in here, but 
Um, I was thinking about also like these are explicitly lies, right? Legends <laughs> for Lionel. And I think we should get into how the pictures work with the text, but since we have uh, this text only being 466 letters long, or words long, I think we could read it all the way through and then go back and talk about uh, what images accompany the, the text. Sounds wise to me. The title page reads, Legends for Lionel in Pen and Pencil by Walter Crane. Castle and Company Limited, London, Paris, New York, and Melbourne, 1887. Preface. All lions have tails, some like the one here, remarkably long ones. Some Lionels I know have legends instead. The Lionel for which these were made is a great devourer of them, and he also has an appetite for pictures to paint. This book of sketches, the offspring of the odd half hour of winter evenings, was originally intended strictly for home consumption. One thing, however, leads to another, just as the sketches did, following one by one as fancy led, till they filled the book. And this book, falling under the eyes of Messrs. Castle, though through the voluntary offices of a sympathetic and enthusiastic friend, legends for Lionel may become legends for legions of Lionels. That both Lionels and others may get as much fun out of the book as did its own father. And Lionel is the wish of both. At any rate, Walter Crane. August 1887. Jack Frost sends his herald without their leaves. And just as the world is thinking of skating, comes thaw followed by fog in which Lionel begins to look out for Christmas, he sees dim and cloudy outlines across a white expanse dotted with sugar plums, which led him to a little house in a garden of Christmas trees. The door was opened by a stately turkey supported by attendant sausages and followed by plum pudding, mince pies, and a regiment of crackers, and a rain of bonbons, and also a snapdragon, St. George after him. But Lionel goes through them all at last and is invited by Jack Horner to a seat in the chimney corner and a share of the celebrated pie. But when the pie was opened, it stood and flapped its wings, a pretty dish to set before two hungry things. King Frost was in his freezing house, nipping toes and noses. Green Spring was in her sleeping car, tying up her posies. The spade was in the garden, talking to the hose, and a little London black that settled on the rose. About a little London black that settled on the rose. But Lionel takes to another branch of the black business, and followed by his tinker's dog, he trundles his workshop. On the common, he meets a pan and a kettle in hot dispute. 
having mended their little difference with a bit of cracked looking glass. Further on, he meets with some keen customers and a whole population of pots and pans, besides sets of fire irons waiting to be set on their legs. Fire dogs, too, left the chimney corner to follow the tinker's dog. Good luck flings her old horseshoe after him, and so getting hold of all the old iron of the village, the tinker turns magician, transmutes it into gold, and retires from business. <laughs> like I say, it's very simple, right? Um, on the last, uh, on the uh, front and back covers, um, we've got the LL, uh, which I assume stands for Legends for Lionel. Um, and we have the crane imagery of, uh, obviously, the family name. Um, and the sunset, or is it the sunrise? Um, but uh, looking at the cover, obviously, I think this is not something that was made for the home, but rather afterwards. It has the Kessel and Company Limited on the front. And then uh, I think the title page is the same. Um, we've got a picture of things that are in the story. Uh, Lionel, the uh, Lionel's dog, or the Tinker's dog. Um, a few other things like that, but I think, and obviously the preface, but I think the rest of it uh, probably didn't have any, any um, reworking, because it it doesn't cohere the way a plotted book would, but it does. I, I think of each of these pages as a half hour, and one of the things mentioned um, uh, that Lion likes to do is. Uh, is to paint the pictures. Uh, he has an appetite for pictures to paint. Um, we would call that today a coloring book, I would think, right? Um, <laughs> and usually we get crayons. Um, this says it's done with pen and pencil in the title. Um, I would assume that Walter Crane did the <laughs> did the watercolors here. Uh, it looks like watercolors. Maybe they're pencil crayon. Um, but... This is this is delightful. Every page is an image accompanied by words and there's a little signature in the bottom right-hand corner. Um so it it's very dreamlike in that the the page to page image kind of connect, but if he's doing like each one of these in a half hour on a winter's evening, um it isn't a project of of uh, a weekend's work or uh, you know a week's worth it's it's whenever you have an idle half hour and your son is there playing on the floor with his little soldiers you can do a little sketch and then have him color it something like that well I, I would like to propose a, an alternate reading not to discredit yours uh, but I'd like to propose an alternate reading um First, the cover itself. Uh, if you notice, um, Legends for Lionel has uh, the, the two L's, the legend and Lionel, um, a, a very particular font. And um, if you look below, you'll see that there are two L's, but one is turned in the wrong direction to function as a column to hold up the, uh, the banner that has Legends for Lionel in it. So the two L's can be used going either way, mm -hmm. the legends for Lionel. The, the 
crane in the lower right has a pen and pencil in its mm-hmm. beak. And the wing is delineated by having a line which on examination turns out to be a C for crane or mm-hmm. cassell, within which is another version of the crane which we're seeing. So we have a fractal image here going deeper and deeper and deeper into the art of mm-hmm. composition. Um, there's a boy searching all of this, standing there with his dog, and that boy, we suppose, will be mm-hmm. the son, the original Lionel. But seeing the way in which these these images are playing with our ideas of composition, it seems to me is crucial. And you see the lion in that banner, Legends for Lionel, mo- marching forward, that is, left to right, that's forward in time in the English way of reading a text. If you go backward from his tail, his tail turns into a vine. So animal, vegetable, written, real, fantasy, observation, creation, these are, and even publication are all mixed together in this cover. In the preface, when we are told that this was made just by the idle half hour, Um, but submitted to Cassell by a friend. That preface, which also has a crane at the bottom of it, I mean, a a picture of a crane, again, with a pencil and pen in its beak, um, and the palette that an an artist would keep as as the body, um, that, that preface saying it was composed in the odd half hour must itself have been composed after the pages that follow. And I would like to suggest that, like all authors, Walter Crane can lie. Sure. That while he may have begun this as Legends for Lionel, his son, I do believe there was a lot of working over. Because I see many connections from one to the other, most prominently by accepting the fact that Lionel's world of literature is a world that Lionel himself can control, and therefore the story is full of playful allusions that are that are reworked for Lionel's legends as opposed to the legends Lionel has heard. Um, I think this is a, a gift, a present presented to his son. Sure. Sure. Do you want to st- start by looking at some oh, of these yeah, pages? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um on that uh, cover, uh, the you mentioned the lion's tail, um, and it is extremely long. Um, it does turn into a vine. Yes. That is mentioned uh, in the preface. All lions have tails, some like this one here. And he's actually referring to one on that page as well. Under the preface, words, uh, or the word preface, is another lion just like the one on the cover. Um, he is playing with the idea of the boy's name, uh, legends for Lionel, LL, obviously, but a mm-hmm. lion, uh, Lionel is means little lion, right? So he, he and then uh, on that same cover, um, he, he's got a the boy with the lamp. That image is inside the book, although it's a it's actually a re redoing. It isn't the reuse. The dog is inside the book, but it's not uh, a, a photocopy over. It's a redrawing. Um, so and. Oh, by the way, in the lamp, which I think is a great image, um, which projects in little dots out into the future as well, um, 
uh, mm-hmm. we can see a uh, letter C <laughs> in red, uh, which is great, right? So uh, he he is putting in all these tiny details. The dog the dog uh, is looking up at the lion. The boy is sort of looking into the future, and the story is about a boy's future. Um, but the L's that are holding up the banner that says Legends for Lionel are also Im- uh, recur as the fire dogs, the uh, things that hold up the fire. So it, it has a kind of a dream logic uh, to the story. And each image does lead to the next one. So I, I, I believe it was done in sequence. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Jack Frost, I know about him. We get a beautiful image of well, before we get to mm-hmm. Jack Frost, let me just stop you. The first time, going top left to right, top to bottom, on the title page, I mean on the cover, we see the two big L's for Legends and Lionel with the, if I may call it the foot, pointed to the mm-hmm. right. Below that, we see the same two L's, but with the one on the left pointed to the left, so that between them they form mm-hmm. a column. When we turn the page... We get to the front end papers. Both of the L's are have their feet pointing to the right, but one is displaced up and to the left so that they form stairs. And here the lion who had been marching to the right is now a lion rampant, a symbol of England, climbing the stairs to the left, meaning going back mm-hmm. in time. So and it's clearly intentional since the the, the back end papers also have uh, that exact same image so getting getting the stairs uh, out of legends for lionel it's not just that it upholds legend the l's uphold the legends for lionel they actually get us somewhere um they get us to climb back into into the time of mm-hmm. fairyland mother goose so I, I want to say that before you got into the first Mother Goose. <laughs> well, there we go. We get uh, Jack Frost, who's uh, all adorned in armor, carrying a trumpet. He has his banner, which has uh, like icicle-like stars. And we see that rising sun that we also see uh, on the title page. Uh, watercolor. Everybody has to download this so they can see the beautiful colors and art. Um, then we see on the second page, without their leaves... And three trees that look like humans. Uh, they've got arms. They've got trunks. <laughs> they've got heads. Um, and they're looking... And sad Yeah, they're kind of sad. And the bird, there's a bird on the ground looking up at them. And it's maybe hopeful. <laughs> and then I think we get... Well, it's probably... Well, excuse me. I think it is hopeful because it's a robin. It, yes. Yes. So that's a sign of impending yes. spring. And... Uh, there's a, a few leaves floating around, but uh, how 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 long over does this take place? It seems like there's a fr- there's it's kind of like a it's kind of like about weather. <laughs> a lot of this is about like thinking <laughs> about the world through a child's eyes, um, and the very first image of Lionel in the story proper is of him looking back over his shoulder with a giant head shaped like a world. And and just as the world is thinking of skating, not, not Lionel is thinking of skating, or mom and dad are thinking of skating, or brother and sister are thinking of skating, the world is thinking of skating. We see a boy sitting in a chair with a giant head looking 
at people skating uh, almost out, out a porthole window, but it's behind him. His head is turned so much that we can barely distinguish that it's a, a face on there at all. It's a pretty a stunning image. The next image, we get this. Yep. I, may, I, I would say that the, the fact that his head is is made as if it were a huge circle and the porthole you refer to is a huge circle, it sort of implies that the world is thinking of skating. The world exists in our minds. Sure. Next image has Lionel, still huge-headed, outdoors with an umbrella, looking at these frosty trees all around him. And here comes Thaw. And Thaw looks like a fireman, but he's a fishman fireman. He's got webbed fingers. He's got uh, sort of dragony toes. And he's pouring from a hose warm water. So I guess you can't go skating now, huh? <laughs> Next image has Lionel, like uh, as on the cover, holding the lamp, looking ahead to the next page, followed by fog, in which Lionel begins to look out for Christmas, or Xmas, as it said here. Um, and in the background, through the fog, we can see some figure. Is it the one we had just seen? No. He's holding something else. We can't quite see who it is. Oh, and the next page has the exact same thing. I think I think he's fog. He could be fog. It says followed by fog. I think Lionel's looking for Christmas, but fog is looking for Lionel. And on the next page are more foggy figures, this with uh, clouds and wavy lines. Uh, he sees dim and cloudy outlines. There's two horses and a woman riding a uh, the back of one of them by standing. Um, who are these guys? One seems maybe has a shovel and helmet. Another one looks a little bit like Jack Frost. One looks a little bit like an alien. Who are these guys? And across a white expanse dotted with sugar plums, we see something. There's a house there. And then we see the house, which led him to a little house in a garden of Xmas trees. And uh, this is just a terrific image. Um, the the uh, Chris, Christmas trees are decorated with giant bulbs, or perhaps the house is tiny. Uh, the path is led by sugar plums. It has a very traditional house, sort of square yard, square fence, it's in the middle of the forest, it seems. Uh, the house is crowned, but the best part, in my view, is the door has a smile. <laughs> it has a face, and perhaps the knocker in the center is the nose. It's very inviting. Uh, and The trees are also smiling. Yeah, and I'm just noticing now, above the door... Uh, you're right, the trees are smiling. Above the door, there's uh, a window, perhaps, but it also looks like a brain. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and next we see... Because this whole world is what the world oh, is absolutely. thinking. And next we see the door was opened by a stately turkey. And we know that the turkey is very stately because it wears buckled shoes on each toe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, hanging from its waistcoat, uh, there are a number of what look like rings with seals on them. So, obviously, uh, a turkey of much responsibility 
writing important letters and sealing them so that uh, people know they're from the authentic Turkey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Supported by attendant sausages, and we see four uh, well-dressed sausages, um, various expressions of uh, <laughs> of uh, greeting, I guess. <laughs> by the way, those sausages are exactly the same sausages that is in their shape that Walter Crane provided in. Uh, for for some of the stories in Lucy Crane, his sister's mm-hmm. translation of the Household Tales of Brother oh, Grimm. Are you Brothers thinking Grimm, of the which was published which was published a year a year are you later? Thinking of specifically the one we did, uh, the mouse, the bird, and the sausage. Actually, I was thinking of the sausage, the straw, and uh-huh. the coal. But but there's more than one sausage uh-huh. in the book, and they're all drawn like this. Um, this is uh, the next page has. Uh, and followed by a plum pudding. This is something that uh, we hear about, sugar plums, uh, plum puddings. Um, we have to think of this is the period before candy was quite as ubiquitous and as well understood as we understand candy today. Sugar plums were uh, different than candy, but they were as close as getting to sugar as you could. So this plum pudding and pudding means dessert, essentially. Um, so there are things that aren't like blood pudding. But I love that this plum pudding, who comes hot on a plate um, uh, with a sprig of holly in its head, also brings both a fork <laughs> and a sword, a.k.a. a knife, from which to consume him. His, his shoes also buckled, are buckled with sugar plums. <laughs> right. Next, something I'm very familiar I- with. Mince pies. I love mince pies. Something you get at Christmas. Uh, two boys, perhaps, wearing uh, armor of birds, perhaps robins, um, with weapons that are spoons and shields that are mince pies. I, I am also noticing the footwear a lot in this book. And in this case, they seem to be wearing uh, some, is that a moccasin? Some sort of sandal. I think sandals. Yeah. Um, no buckled shoes for them. They're boys. Right. Uh, and a, a regiment of crackers. So uh, I think I'm pretty familiar with these. This is something we have for Christmas. Um, you hold on to one end. I hold on to the other. And when we pull it apart, a tiny explosion happens. A little breaking of the sound barrier. Um well, why wouldn't you have a regiment of sound, uh, of crackers? Because they're all little explosions, right? They all have little guns. It's, it's a terrific image. Um, we can't see uh, everybody. But their leader is on a hobby he horse. He is on a hobby horse. He's, he's wearing uh, stir, uh, uh, stirrup boots, boots for riding the horse. He's got his own sword there. But uh, at the end of his uh, cap and end of all the other soldiers' caps... Um, are the uh, like furled details that are also on the ends of his feet, coming out of his trousers and out of the end of the hobby horse. Incredible detail. And then a rain of bonbons. And this is interesting because she also is wearing the cracker sort of uh, dress uh, with an umbrella. 
Well, one of the things you can do, I don't know if you do this, Eric, when you open a cracker, generally they have a little piece of paper with a joke inside and also like a little treat or a little toy. <laughs> so when you break open one of these, out rains the bonbons, the little candies. Now this one I'm way less familiar with. Also a Snapdragon. What is a Snapdragon, Eric? A Snapdragon is a kind of a plant. I guess it looks like a plant, but there's... Well, if you take a look over mm -hmm. the tail, um, a Snapdragon is, is, uh, is a plant. And, uh, but this, of course, this is where we really start to get into the reuses. This Snapdragon is, in fact, a dragon. And so in the next panel, St. George is after him. Right, right. Excuse me, yeah. right? Because George conquering the dragon is one of the symbols of sure. England. And uh, up on top of St. George's helmet is Lionel, or a lion. On St. George's shield are three lions with long tails, just like the one on the cover. They have very long tails, but they also have sort of vin vinous growth. Um, I, I love the uh, horse is fully covered in its uh, horsey... Uh, clothing, but its feet <laughs> uh -huh. don't look like horses' feet as much as one would think. Uh, their hooves are very um, foot-like. <laughs> they are. They're little boys Indeed. again. Uh, next page, we have Lionel uh, greeting Jack Horner, but Lionel gets through them all at last, and is invited by Jack Horner. Oh, another figure from so history. What he's gotten through then is the regiment of the regiment of crackers sure. and the Snapdragon, and he's gone through. This is important for the political aspects of it. He's gone through the symbol of England. Mm -hmm. okay. Jack Horner also wears buckled shoes to know he's from the past. Whereas Lionel, he's a modern boy. He wears laced shoes. Yes. Now. Maybe we should let people know, because there is a famous mm -hmm. poem. Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating a Christmas mm -hmm. pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I? That's being referenced oh, yeah. here. And in the next image, too, uh, when we first meet Jack Horner, he is standing in front of a corner, and he invites Lionel to sit in the corner by the chimney where it's nice and warm. He's exactly. just come in from the cold. He's warming his feet on what might be a dragon, but is actually a fire dog. Uh, the thing that holds the wood that's being burnt on the fireplace up above so that air can get under there and make the smoke uh, less and more, burn more cleanly. The other word for them is andiron. It, people are more familiar, I think, with the word sure. andiron than they are with the word and fire this dog. Is, That's what they are. Th what's so wonderful about this, is, this whole book, is I can see that this is exactly how I talk to students about why things are named what they are. So um, you might say to your wife, place another uh, piece of wood on the andiron, honey. And she says, oh, I just <laughs> did. The fire dog is full. And then the child would say to you, the fire dog? <laughs> and... Right you would explain that that right. thing that's the andiron is also the fire dog. So while sitting in the corner right. here, Jack Horner's bringing a pie, 
Lionel's worming his hands and feet. And but notice it says share the celebrated mm. pie. So so the writer is acknowledging that these are things that are known in advance mm-hmm. by the reader. On the pie crust. Uh, it's celebrated by having that pie. On the yes. pie crust are the outlines, not actual, but the outlines of the Christmas symbol of holly leaves and holly berries. And just as we cut into it, and when the pie was opened, it stood and flapped its wings. <laughs> and the wings are little slices of pie crust. I, I think, again, for those who weren't lucky enough to grow up with Mother Goose, it's worth our remembering a traditional song. Sing a song of sixpence, a pocket full of rye, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. When the pie was opened, the birds began to sing. Wasn't that a dainty dish to set before the king? The king was in the counting house, counting out his money. The queen was in the parlor, eating bread and honey. The maid was in the garden, hanging out the clothes. Along came a blackbird and snipped off her nose. And every part of the, every stanza of that is reworked in the images mm-hmm. that come. Or, or the ones that were before. Um, a, a pretty dish to set before two hungry things. I note, I note that the pie, when you uh, look at it, its, its head <laughs> has a face. Its legs are the knife and fork. Um, as it flies away from the two hungry, hungry things standing on their stools at the table, we finally meet yep. King Frost. King Frost was in his freezing house. <laughs> um, and there's a, uh, we know it's freezing because on the wall of the freezing house by the window is a thermometer showing very cold. Um, above his throne, which is also winged and has clawed feet like other characters in this book, uh, is a throne. And from the edges of the seat are icicles hanging. He looks very cold. His crown itself is made seemingly of icicles standing on end. And then, nipping toeses and noses. It's not toeses. It's toes and noses. Um, And he's got uh, little claws for clipping people's or grabbing people's noses and toeses. And his own toeses are covered in very long socks, just like the people he's clamping have very long hats. Uh, It's... And I think it's important that what what Walter is doing is letting Lionel say, oh, King Frost is in his freezing house, not the king was in his counting mm-hmm. house. And the nipping toes and noses is instead of nipping the the nose, the blackbird that nips the nose of the maid who's hanging out the clothes. So the... This is a this is a game of discovery. As we're enjoying discovering the visual images, um, Lionel can discover uh, what's what play is at work here with the the oral images, the text hanging above that whole scene is a sword, uh, not in use but potentially there for use. Then we meet another character. Green Spring was in her sleeping car. And there she is, beautifully sleeping, a little nymph-like figure wearing uh, a flower on its back, is sort of smiling at us. She's sleeping. 
he might be saying, <laughs> as birds fly around the clouds. She's not here yet, but she's coming. Next image, tying up her posies, and there she is, awake, uh, bundling flowers. I guess she's getting ready to bring them when spring comes. Now, astoundingly, we're thinking about outside. The spade was in the garden, talking to the hose, and I see the spade looks rather uh, uh, disappointed. <laughs> the hose seems angry. So... Oh, I thought that the spade was smiling. The, the handle looked to me like a smile. But but you notice, this is not the maid was in the garden hanging out mm -hmm. the clothes. The spade was in the garden talking to the oh. hose. About a little London black that settled on the rose. So now that we know what they were talking about. And the rose is personified. It, it has hands, and inside the center of the rose, it has a face. There's little thorns. And the little black, of course, is a miniature ch chimney sweep. Carrying its bundle. I, I will remind you that Walter Crane was well known for his socialist um, mm -hmm. politics. And there are two, not one, but two famous poems by Walter, uh, by William Blake, called The Chimney Sweeper, which are condemnations of the capitalist system and how it eats up children. I think that's in the background mm -hmm. here because we're going to see the system coming up. But Lionel takes to another branch of the black business. So he isn't going to become a chimney sweep. No. Um, I, th I first thought, oh, is he going to be a, a blacksmith? But no, he's, he becomes a tinker. It's a little bit hard to see here because the sign uh, beside the... Uh, bucket he's carrying that's a uh, brazier i guess it would be that he's carrying uh is obscured by all the smoke coming off of uh his brazier uh, it says something like lionel mm -hmm, mm -hmm. tin man maybe razor scissors and set something like that and then uh we see is that the first time we've seen his dog i think it is his fire dog well, on the next page, oh, now we can see it. Lionel, knife grinder, tin man, razor sharpener, and all kinds and cutlery and blah, blah, blah. And followed by his tinker's dog. He trundles his workshop. So that is a job, a tinker. And nearby, in the background, we see the directional sign again. Uh, we see a couple of geese saying, what's going on over there? He's, he's doing his business. Who does he find in the street? On the common, he meets a pot and a kettle in hot dispute. Wow, there's that goose there. Goose is upset. What's going on? The pot and the kettle have their own tools. They've dropped because they're going to get into a fist fight. The tools being a hammer and a, uh, I guess, chimney sweep uh, gear. And boy, do they look angry. Next page. Having mended their little difference with a bit of cracked looking glass, he's holding the two pot, the pot and the kettle close to a broken glass. Um, they're smiling at each other. But it's worth remembering that the hot dispute, they're hot because they're both Angry. cooking yep. implements. Right. 
yes, but hot in that other sense because you, you they have fire and both of these guys have fire the one with the hammer has a horseshoe next to the hammer so he's perhaps mm-hmm. a blacksmith who works with fire and the chimney sweep is the is the other both of them are blackened that is each is calling the other right. black that's what the dispute is and the, of course Lionel the young boy Walter's son should be able to know that ah, ha, ha, ha. the pot calling the yep. kettle black but here comes a cracked looking glass. And it's by going through the looking glass that Alice is able to find the, a fantasy world in which a new kind of order can be forged. In the background, I note there's also what looks like a donkey or a mule uh, chewing on some grass. Perhaps spring has come. The next image. Mm. Further on, he meets with some keen customers. <laughs> keen I mean, sharp. And what do we see? We see uh, pairs of scissors and pincers, uh, knives, <laughs> razors. Um, and I note that one of the pairs of scissors, perhaps for cutting cuticles or something, looks a little bit like a crane. Indeed. And a whole Indeed. population of pots and pans. And some of them have uh, what you might put in the contents. One of them is a fish man. <laughs> One of them is a pig man. Indeed. And they all have faces. Indeed. They're... And they're all waiting for his business. Yes. Besides sets of fire irons, again, something going back to that image of being warmed by the fire in the winter, waiting to be set on their legs. Of course, they have legs. Right? Just like tables have legs. Little Lionel. And then, oh, the fire dogs. And we're back at the fire. Or someone else's fire. There's a little boy smoking. Um, and there's another pipe ready to be used above on the mantelpiece in a glass, uh, in a jar or a cup. Fire dogs, too, left the chimney corner to follow the tinker's dog. Wow. And they both have Sort of the st- the two fire dogs and the tinker's dog have the same sort of style of ears, up like fire, tongues out red like fire. And then we meet. But you'll notice that the that the 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 biological dog, what you would call the real dog, I guess, in this world of fairy tales, has his tail between sure his does. legs, while while the mechanical dogs, the metal dogs, the fire dogs have their tails up and curled the around. Can take they the are in high spirits. Yep. Whereas the Tinker's dog is near the fire, the fire dogs are in the fire. Exactly. And then uh, we see Good Luck flings her own her old horseshoe after him. The That is the dog. But in the sky we have a crescent moon. Just like the thing she's holding is a crescent shape. Some moon being good luck. What is she stepping on? Is that glasses? Or is it a puddle? I think it might be a I, mirror. I thought that it was a puddle. Could be a mirror. Interesting. I, but we're near the water, as mm. you can see. There's a mm-hmm. beach, and uh, right. So I just thought Could it was water, water, but I, I That's don't know. This isn't the first horseshoe we've seen in no. the book, though. There was a horseshoe next to the but, hammer. And then, getting close to the end here. And so, getting hold of all the old iron of the village, the tinker turns magician 
transmutes it into gold and retires from business. And there we see the tinker, uh, no longer a tinker, but a magician holding uh, metal instruments for working this hot metal, transmuting uh, labor <laughs> into money, um, while wearing a robe that indicates that he is definitely an alchemist of some kind, a magician, of course, uh, a very tall hat to hold in all his very smart brains, and in the background, piles of coins, all gold. And that, looking at that brazier, um, we note it also has interesting uh, feet, like a an animal, perhaps a, a lion. You'll notice also that we've switched symbolism. The uh, the, the images, the the ciphers on the magician's garment are common ones one would see in Egyptian cartouche. Mm -hmm. And in the background, we don't just have stacks of gold. We have a pyramid mm. of gold. The idea that the alchemists reach even further back than Christianity, even further back than the Greeks and the Romans, is uh, a, a common notion uh, for the Victorians. And this fellow has gone then even further back. I think... I'd well, like to make a... Oh, I was me. just Go going ahead. to point out that the uh, the coins are a lot like the sugar plums earlier following it down a path um, is that they're round and they are scattered on the ground. <laughs> they lead you to places. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, this is a book with a message. It's very subtle, but it's also full of lessons. Well, I'd like to, to talk for, uh, for just a, mo a moment as I said, Crane is a well-known socialist, and he says in the preface that I did this just for fun, not to make money. Nonetheless, Castle and Company, Cassell and Company Limited, has decided to make this into a book. And the following pages beyond this, which is the end of Legends for Lionel, is a whole set of ads for other books published by Castle and Company. That is, this book is part of commerce. The boy who becomes the magician is at first a tinker. He's not the chimney sweep. He's not someone who is working for someone else. He is not a child at somebody else's beck and call. The question is, is a tinker normally thought of as a quite poor person? Is he nonetheless his own businessman? This is after Marx has begun publishing and living in London, by the way. After Marx has published, the tinker who trundles off, mm -hmm. as you say, with his, his shop, he owns his own means of production. So he is sort of the ideal work person in the world of Walter Crane. But to be involved in commerce at all is a sad reality that a child would want to be able to get beyond. And so the child who became the tinker gathers up all the iron and through the use of magic turns it into gold. What the king should have been counting out in his counting house, it is the symbol for wealth in all the fairy tales. And having enough of that, he retires from business. So this book begins by thinking, ah, times are hard, they're cold, 
We need to defend ourselves against the world. We try to do so, but even when we think we can have fun with it, in comes the thaw and makes it harder. But bit by bit by bit, the boy gains enough knowledge of how things are constructed that they don't all fly away from him. He is able to go and apply his own childlike magic and come to a point where he has all he needs and doesn't have to be engaged in the world, which, as Wordsworth said, is too much Mm. with us late and soon. It is, I think, ultimately, it may not have begun this way, but ultimately a connected story about the relationship between youthful innocence and hope and the world in which one has to earn one's bread, even if it's by pen and pencil. I I wanted to tell everybody that I looked it up and found out what Lionel ended up doing in life. He did not become a tinker. Um, He became an architect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, to me, uh, that most architectural scene in the book is is that house, that perfect Christmas house, framed by the Christ- two smiling Christmas trees, uh, which are evergreen as opposed to deciduous, and which uh, are surrounded by a square fence, uh, very symmetrical windows, and a crown atop. Mm-hmm. William Morris, um, who was a friend of... Um, uh, George MacDonald and knew um, Charles Dodson. Um, I don't know if he knew Walter Crane, but it seems entirely possible. Um, William Morris founded Antiscrape, a an architectural preservation society in um, in London, and he is the first person to actually raise money, public person, as opposed uh, to uh, the royalty or the first private individual to organize, to raise money, to preserve works of architecture because of their aesthetic uses. And he says in discussing the importance of architecture, which he calls the highest of all arts, that it is both beautiful and useful. And he says you should have nothing in your life that is not both beautiful and useful. And I think you've pointed to why this makes such a good Christmas mm. gift for Cassell and Company at Limited to sell because that house that you point to is beautiful and useful at the Christmas season. I note also there's no chimney. <laughs> there's no smoke coming out of this beautiful house that he goes inside and sits by the fire of. It's very abstract, the fact that we're eating turkeys <laughs> and we're being greeted by turkeys. <laughs> we're eating the attendant sausages, but we're being uh, delighted by attendant sausages. And then we're delighted by the plum pudding who brings us a fork with which to eat him. It, it, this is all ridiculous. Um, and yet this is how we engage with reality as human beings. We have a kind of... Um, play in the learning and understanding of that which is all around us. And everything here in the book is something that is very familiar to a young boy. Winter is a thing we have to deal with. Oh, yeah, we can't go outside. 
Um, and I was just thinking about how uh, Heinlein's um, novel, The Door into Summer, came into being. Um, when you go to the door and you open the door and the cat doesn't want to go out because it's cold out there. And then five minutes later, it asks to go out again and you open the door and the cat doesn't want to go out because it's cold out there. The cat wants the door into summer. You keep holding, opening the door into winter. This is how we all are. But as uh, humans, we come to realize, oh, these, are, these seasons are things that are beyond our personal parents' control and our own control. They are externalized and personified by Jack Frost. Oh, see, Jack Frost has come. That's why. And now when I open the door, of course, right? So this whole book works as a kind of a, a functional difference between regular animals that are being shown in this book, like dogs and, and lions, and the kind of weird animal that we have, that we are, that we adorn ourselves with names of these animals and put it on our armor and, and call the things that we cook uh, uh, you know, that explode in the fireplace, perhaps snapdragons, even though they're flowers and crackers, the sound that they make. Everything has an explanation. Everything has to be taught. And so when we're t talking about rhyme, Jack Horner sits in the corner. It all kind of makes sense. And it works on that very child level. But this is consciously done by an adult who's experienced childhood himself. It's beautiful. And if you take a look at the back cover, we get those stairway L's again, going up to the left, into the past, while the crane is now plummeting into, into the water, down toward the the ccl you know the the publishing world but the crane is going down to to find who knows what and we can't tell if the sun is rising or setting everything is up for grabs future and past imagination and reality commerce and art and even a child can look at this and keep on examining it because there's always more to say good Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.